Hey gang, that's Holly. And that's Brooke. And this is the Macabre Cast. And I'm Nikon. And I'm Trainer, still. <laughs> you gotta say it too now. And I'm Elena. Still? Still. <laughs> <laughs> For episode 33, um, our second guest episode. Very yes. exciting. Mm-hmm. Brooke's part. I'm not talking about, but just wanting you to know that the first episode is going to be the better one. Wow! <laughs> Get wrecked. <laughs> Rude. I think you'll have a good time. No, I'm excited for this, actually. I genuinely am. It's a fucking wild ride. I'm yeah. excited. I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to I'm Okay, the unhinged energy that's going to come from me and from you this whole episode is... I'm wow. unprecedented. I feel yeah. trapped between fire signs. I mean, that's fair. That's, that's usually how, that's usually how it feels. And um, also, mean, one of the best parts of doing the podcast is getting to sit here and like listen to the uh, the other person just like go off about something. Yeah, because right, we go we go I'm like I mean, you listen to the po- both of you listen to the podcast. You know that we go on these long fucking like feminism tangents and like it. queer theory yeah. tangents and stuff like. <laughs> It, we, we cannot be stopped. To stay on topic. <laughs> we will not be stopped. Yeah. We yeah. we will not be stopped. I mean, I'm I'm not mad about it to be honest. No, yeah. I'm fine with it. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to hear you two kind of go at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I like I said to everybody earlier at dinner. I was like furiously texting my coworker about how like I was like I could go on for hours about this stuff. <laughs> like such a nerd. Oh I haven't felt like I haven't like, you know, gone into like researching any of this in a long time. Like yeah. something from something so specifically like my major, you know, yeah. in a long time. We haven't really delved into some of the like more literary things, which are on our list. Yeah, we do have but, on our lists. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about. I I originally wanted us to cover the Mary Shelley Hart story, mm. but then you suggested this story instead, and I was like, I mean. I'm not going to say no. I guess we'll just have to have you on another time. So this is a story that I um, remembered, I think, six months ago. I was just doing research, and I was like, oh, yeah, that. And I was like, oh, wait, that's the perfect macabre cast. And then I thought to myself, last summer, when Brooke and Holly were getting ready to start the show, they said, next year when you come out, we'll have you on. And I was like, okay. This is it. This is the moment. Oh and I started God. even thinking then. Oh my God. And when we had this dinner planned. I love that you planned this. I, when we planned to go out to dinner, I said, also, are we going to do the podcast? Because I have some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so like, this has been sitting in my pocket for at least I mean, six months. Oh, I love that. Unfortunately for you, you don't live here with us in Washington, sure, Elena, so you don't get to have as many opportunities potentially sure, in the future sad. to be on episodes. So what you're saying is you're now going to have Trainer on all the time, and no. I'm going to be sad, <laughs> but I listen to this and I walk my dog and we'll say, it's okay, Snickers, I know Aww. at least you love me. Mm-hmm. It's okay, I'll send you as many pictures of Fern as you want. Okay. It's <laughs> a good deal. There we go. It's a good trade. Trade. And then you get to listen to Trainer Talk, too. It's true. I do enjoy it, yes. You have a good podcast voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You do. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So horrific. Tip of the tongue. Oh, my God. So horrific. Oh, no. Why do you only say the end of the phrase, the tip of the tongue? It's the lips, because the teeth, the tip remember, of the tongue. Because I can't remember the first part. Come on. Moses supposes his toes are roses. Oh, God. 
All right. I'm so what are you guys? Bag. Let's get into it. Yes. Yes. It's like weird theater kid stuff. Let's move yeah. on. It is weird like theater <laughs> kid stuff. Anyway. So, so what are we talking about? Yeah. What the fuck are we talking about? Well, I'll be talking about the Radcliffe Highway Murders. Um, unrelated to Daniel. Yeah. Unrelated Maybe. to Daniel. I mean, to be fair, the spelling for Radcliffe is either with an E or without an E. He spells it with an E. But I wrote it without an E because that's how I saw it spelled the most often. Maybe they changed the spelling to dissociate. Yeah. He's distancing All I know is that my brother literally looks exactly like Daniel Radcliffe, so I don't have to go far to visit him. That's true. It's It's just blonde version. Literally blonde version of him. (laughs) Yeah. It's horrifying. (laughs) Picturing that. Wow. It's disturbing. I love you, Daniel. I also just wanted to say, Daniel Radcliffe, we're on to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Imposter. That's a threat. <laughs> <laughs> like that he committed the murders? Oh, no. Just waited two He's years. I'll have my episode. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that he was a time traveler. All right. It's because we're sharing a mic. That's we're true. connected now. Mm-hmm. I'm forgiving you You're for forgi- your betrayal. I was going to say, are you going to forgive yes. me now? <laughs> And if you don't remember, in the last episode, we discussed <laughs> that Brooke betray- betrayed me twice. Oh, God. <laughs> You'll never live it down. I won't. I won't. Well, I guess I could start with my sources, unlike Holly, who forgot last time. <gasps> Listen, I said it at the Shade. end. So I don't have as many fine. as you. Yeah. Because um, is one of your sources cool. trainer I definitely didn't uh, you. Hansen? No. Oh. Although, I did get a couple book recommend. I mean, I feel like... Inspo should be a source. Yeah. I, well, inspiration, yeah, but not yeah. like okay. content okay. necessarily. Because we tried to. He, Trainer wouldn't tell me some of his opinions because he wanted to share them on the pod only, which was rude. And I sent an angry emoji. Yeah. 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 An angry emoji. Did you send a shrug emoji back? I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> should we look? No. We need I, the get, I want to get started. Okay, I want to know go, what you're go, talking go, go, about. Go, go. Sources. Okay, sources for today. Uh, so. For like internet sources, uh, mm-hmm. the British newspaper archives. I used them a lot. I also used the Thames Police Museum website, which had mm-hmm. like a really, really thorough, comprehensive um, description of everything. It was much better than De Quincey's account of it. It's a different kind of resource. It's, that's true. <laughs> Um, Also, of course, the the Wikipedia, which I will say, the notice at the top of the page (laughs) says, warning, this is all from one source. Guess what the source is? De Quincey. Oh, no. It's literally taken from him. Like, all of the Wikipedia. Did you write the entry? (laughs) So I did. Not for that page. So that's what's funny, is I, before, okay, we all know, well, the five of us know the trainer has dabbled on the talk page for the actual Thomas De Quincey Wikipedia page. That's right. On, when I was looking at the Radcliffe Highway murders, I remembered that, and I was like, I'm just curious. And I looked on the talk page, and I didn't see your name, and I was yeah. like, thank God. Well, I mean, to be fair, all my Wikipedia editing is just by IP address. But mm-hmm. Oh. But so still. I could yeah. But you pointed it out to me before. So. Yeah, if you ever go to the Thomas De Quincey Wikipedia page and notice that his signature has a lowercase d, but the Wikipedia page has an uppercase d, and you wonder, hey, should be should it be lowercase? The answer is no. It should be uppercase. Wow. And if That's you want to see anything about that debate, go into the talk page where I shut it down 
And well, <laughs> I think that you have some work to do because the the Radcliffe Highway Murders spells it with a lowercase d the entire time. So you ha- you have a project. <laughs> That just exasperated so you know. sigh. You've it's just like whack-a-mole. Do. I know, right? <laughs> you literally corrected me so bluntly in my text, too, because I just, like, typed it. I didn't even think about it. I just sent it to you with a lowercase d, and you were like, capital D. I was like, okay. The first two that had a lowercase d, I didn't correct you, but the third one... <laughs> the third one was too far. Whatever. I was like, okay, was we can't continue this conversation. Texting, whatever. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> I will say I did get um, two other sources. I, one I I didn't get to, but I'm going to shout it out because you recommended it to me. Um, so I'll shout out that one just because it's important. So there is a book that Trainer re- recommended to me, which is The Regency Years, which has a great subtitle, Ooh. as um, was pointed out to me. <laughs> I'm trying to find the full written version. Um it's called The Regency Years, during which Jane, Jane Austen writes, Napoleon fights, Byron makes love, and Britain becomes modern by Robert Morrison. Mm-hmm. All right. That is a great title. It's a great title. Yeah. I haven't read that one yet, but I bought it, so I'll probably be giving it a good read. Um, and then I did do, like, a after I had done most of my research, I did take a, a quick look through Guilty Thing by uh, Francis Wilson, which Trainer has collected and... and kept at the table <laughs> as a security and blanket. The name is spelled correctly there. So. Yeah. You can see his signature, his signature is yeah. lowercase. Oh, no. <laughs> I bumped oh. the microphone. It's okay. It's all over now. Why is it all over? He's not in many ways. In fact, I'm his not, family name wait, is just Quincy. I didn't mean to ask. Yeah. I didn't mean to ask because I know if I ask, we're going to go down True. Rabbit, his <laughs> family name is Quincy, and then his dad added the day. Uh, in order to make it seem more aristocratic. All right. So that but. gives you a little bit of a glimpse. <laughs> There's sort of like class mobility pretensions there. He was hmm. a merchant and wanted to seem like more than a merchant. That makes, okay, I got it. So there's that. <laughs> Before we begin, trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. I'm going to briefly state what happened to the victims in this case because I think... To a certain extent, it is important to, like, be honest about what happened to victims. Mm-hmm. So I will be saying, but I'm not obviously going to go into great detail about it. If you want to have a very detailed account of it, go ahead and um, read De Quincey's account because it's detailed. very dramatic in a for a reason that makes sense. I will say, you are right, trainer. There is a reason. And I know you're going to get into that later, so I'll, I'll, I'll hold my tongue. Thank you. <laughs> so, I guess, shall we get started? Yeah. Our scene is set December in December 1811 in Wapping, London, England, which here in my notes are at Wapping. Are you serious, England? <laughs> no, the answer is no. <laughs> They're not serious. Um... They're named for their location um, as the two brutal murders occurred. In my notes, I wrote it 12, but I know it's nine. (laughs) Nine days apart and only a half mile apart on what is now just referred to as the highway, but at the time was referred to as Radcliffe Highway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's like the location. That's why it's named for that. Um, But more importantly, let's start with incident number one. 
I'm not gonna get too much into the background of the victims because frankly, I just don't have enough time to cover the crime itself uh, okay. if I do so. So, and I also have so many notes, so I'm just gonna go for it. <laughs> Good. Let's go. So, incident number one. Saturday, December 7th, 1811, at 29 Radcliffe Highway, there was a little linen draper shop. It was the home of the Marr family, and they lived there, and they ran this essentially like, it's not like a tailor shop, but sort of like a tailor shop. And he was sort of new-ish to this business. What I will say, sort of as a nod to what I'll talk about later, is that he used to be a seaman, Mr. Marr, but he had, in the last, I think it was about, it had only been about a year that he had been working there and owning this business that this incident occurred. So it was a relatively new business. You can actually see, it's in the book, um, there's lots of like, um, the etchings like of what the front of the store looked like, which is very interesting, because it had recently be, been remodeled at the time. Nice. So living there was Timothy Marr, Celia Marr, his wife, and Timothy II, his 14-week-old son, who was born this, this, the past August, so only a few months prior. Uh, also, they had two people living there with them who worked for them. One was James Gowan, who was an apprentice, and then also Margaret Jewell, who was a servant uh, working there as well. Uh, before I go on to say, the time of day that this occurs is like super late at night, like midnight, essentially. And they were finishing up for the day, which sounds weird, but context, obviously, back then, people were working super late. They were living there. People would stay open super late, so it wasn't uncommon that they were still open and, like, sort of closing up shop around, like, 11, 30, 12 at night. Okay. Um, so the story sort of goes as this per the account of the witnesses and the victims themselves. Margaret Jewell, the servant, was sent out of the home around 11.55 p.m. to retrieve a late dinner for Celia Marr, who was still recovering from childbirth, and he he wanted to treat his wife, uh, Mr. Marr. He, he was like, oh, I want to get her oysters. Being, like, just fresh off pregnancy and eating that oysters sounds, sounds very disturbing to yeah, me. Like some midnight oysters. Yeah, yeah, I was like, that sounds literally <laughs> terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I said no thanks in my notes, but this was very close to, like, the docks, so oh. I guess locationally that would make sense, but also disgusting. So <laughs> How dare you? fresh, because I was imagining something mm, yeah. disgusting something. sitting around for yeah, a while. No. Yeah. So basically, the Radcliffe Highway was, you know, a, a residential area, but behind, like, off the streets was either sort of like the shipyard or like open space that was just behind where everyone's yards were at the time. Uh, so she was sent out to go get these oysters for Celia, I guess, if she was going to eat them. Or maybe maybe Timothy Marr just really wanted oysters, but he was putting up a front. I don't know. <laughs> They're for my pregnant wife. Right. They're for my pregnant <laughs> wife. Um, and then also she was sent to pay a bill at a local bakery as well at the time. Okay. So on her little trek, she went on a walk. She got to the oyster shop. They were closed. Lovely. I mean, so, at this point, what? It's like midnight? It's midnight. It's I mean, yeah. yeah. So the world would be open. I yeah. mean, 
every source that I was seeing was like, it's not uncommon for businesses to be like open because a lot of people just like lived in their businesses super late. But I'm also like, it's 1130. I don't understand. Why are you still awake? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, So then she walks back by the shop and as she's walking by, she looks in the window and Margaret recalls looking through the window and seeing Mr. Marr working at his desk while she walks by. Then she goes down to the bakery, only to find it also closed. Again, I I guess not shocking. Right, yeah. Um, Determined to locate the oysters for what I wrote was for angry postpartum mama, (laughs) she stopped at one additional location before heading home without success. She didn't find any oysters. Boo-hoo. It was about 12.20 when Margaret returned home and she found the house... Completely shuttered, lights out, doors locked. Okay. Right? Confused, she knocked on the door a few times without success. She, there's a bunch of different accounts of, like, what exactly was happening, whether she was ringing a bell, whether she was, like, knocking on the door, banging on the door. One said that she was, like, kicking the door. Um, She heard no movement when pressing her ear to the door. And then after she had, like, been sort of, like, banging on the door... She heard the sounds of shuffling steps and a, the baby crying out. Oh. And then nothing. So, at this point, it, a lot of times it says she starts just, like, fucking, like, kicking the door. Like, trying right, to, like, right, right. get, like, to see if she can wake some up. Um, and at this time, she sort of alerted the local night watchman named George Olney. Um, and then also their, their next-door neighbor, John Murray. Literally every single man in the story is named John. <laughs> Just to clarify. Uh, Timothy Marr. Okay. Thomas De Quincey. There's two. There's not a lot of names. Yeah. (laughs) They had like three to choose from. Seriously. Seriously. And then there's Percy out there on his own. Right? (laughs) We're not going to get me started on Percy. Uh, so with the two, with the Night Watchman and with the neighbor John Murray, they, they, um, located the Thames police officer Charles Horton and they started to investigate what was happening um Murray actually went in his house hopped the fence into their yard because they were like next door neighbors so they shared a fence and he found the back door ajar and so he like started kind of just like going in which I'm kind of like did you like not bring (laughs) like the police with you I don't know people were all over crime scenes back then so it's fine I guess Um, when searching the home, uh, and kind of, like, calling out for the family, he did not, he found a very gruesome sight, I will say. So, in the shop portion of the home, he found, um, James Gowan, The Apprentice, Celia Marr, and also Timothy Marr, sort of strewn about the shop floor in different locations. All three had their faces completely smashed in. Oh. To an unrecognizable state. Yikes. Yes. Mm. Uh, It is said that Celia's wounds were still bleeding when they entered the room. And my thoughts are like, she was, did they not? Like, did they? Check to see if she was alive. Yeah, because every single source I saw was like, she was still like actively bleeding out in the moment when they walked in. Her heart was beating. Right. But the other thing to be said about that is, it was very recent. That's true. I mean, 1155 between 1220 is like not a very long span of time um, but all three of their bodies were kind of sort of found in the shop area just to jump in yeah they when um 
the servant was knocking on the door, the watchman came to say, to call one o'clock. Yes. So it was yeah, one he was calling. He was calling uh-huh. the hour at the time. Oh, right. so yeah. So she she had basically been banging on the door for about like thirty minutes right. trying to get in, and then he was like, "What the fuck are you doing out here?" And she was like, "I live here, and they won't let me in." Right. And then they were like, "Okay." And of course, all of her being loud had woken up the neighbor. Yeah. I'm also. There's so much to talk about. So, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, at one point, someone was like, "What about the baby?" So unfortunately. Unfortunately, someone went and found it, and some sources had a very disturbing description of it. I'm going to go with the least disturbing version of it. Um, They found baby Timothy in his crib with his face also crushed in. Oh, my God. Or in some sources, it says, like, the side of his head smashed in, and then also they had... Again, this is like this is very violent. Um, His throat has slit to the point of partial decapitation. Oh, which I mean, for a baby is like, it's not that much of a neck, but yeah, but that's yeah intense. Um, it's also just so much like. It's a baby. Like, like if you yeah. hit it, it's it, already dead. Like yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, like, but <laughs> like the other three, no, we're just gonna. Yeah. So but yeah. the baby, no, Come no, no, on. we gotta make sure the baby's dead. Right. Uh, when examining yeah. the scene. They found that no money was taken from the home, including, like, the till at the shop was full, and then they also found money in a bedroom drawer as well that was, like, nothing had been rifled through, nothing was stolen. So not Um, a robbery. That's what they assumed at this point, yeah. Yeah. Um, Nothing appeared to be out of place in the home, and there was no sign of an attacker around. Uh, There was a chisel on the ground next to um, Timothy Sr., but it was clean. Okay. It was just sitting on the ground with him. Um, and then during the investigation, uh, what was his name? Uh, the police officer, Charles Horton, found upstairs, leaning against a chair in the bedroom, a bloody and covered in matted hair, abandoned what is called a maul, which is basically a sledgehammer with a pointed end on one side and a flat end on the other. Yeah. Um... So he collected that as evidence, of course. Um, And when he examined it, it appeared that the tapered end of it had been chipped off to, like, sort of a blunt end. Hmm. Okay. Um, Which is concerning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or could not be concerning. Who knows, right? Um, Well, you guys don't know. I do. You know. (laughs) You know. Do you remember I why? I love the smart, smile, the smart face. Like, You're yes, so I do smug. Know. <laughs> I mean, there's more to the story. There is more to the story. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, in further examination of the area, they also found a set of partial footprints with blood and sawdust that led away in the back garden with the initial of what they couldn't fully identify, but what they thought was an IP or a JP. Um, and the blood and sawdust confirmed that it was from there obviously the blood but the sawdust too because they had been doing renovations on the shop and so there was like mm-hmm. stuff going on <laughs> okay. um wait where were the initials were on the foot uh, like um on the bottom of the shoe oh I so was... like they had been like yeah carved into the shoe and then when yeah. they did the imprint I got you, right got you. uh and later when they cleaned up the mall they actually discovered the same initials on the weapon as well Hmm. Uh, yeah. Spicy. So with such, like, an unclear motive, lack of evidence, 
Charles Horton and the sort of now involved lead investigator John Harriet um, were not really sure what to do next, and they they put out a reward for fifty guineas. <laughs> Um, which I read in one source that that was, like, not allowed, and he actually got in trouble for that, which oh, I thought was really funny, but that was only stated on, like, the Tams Police, <laughs> uh, like, the Thames Police, um, website that I was on. Okay. So, I don't know if that was, like, them being spicy about him, like, not doing his job very correctly, or if that was accurate, I'm not sure. <laughs> Who knows? But they were pretty mad about it. They were like, you're not supposed to issue these, whatever. At this point, all they suspected was... Most likely the perpetrator had fled at the last minute when Margaret returned home and started sort of banging on the door, which unfortunately would mean that the footsteps she heard were someone rushing to finish the job and leave. Yikes. Yeah. Which is, like, very scary to think about that she was, like, that close. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like, right there. Um, I wrote, to finish the job and bounce, and then a frowny face. <laughs> Why do I write my notes like this? <laughs> nice that you added the frowny face so that you know that there was something sad happening. So sad. It wasn't clear before. Listen. It wasn't clear. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about incident number two. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, because that couldn't have been enough. No, of course not, because that wasn't already terrible enough. Nikon is like so, like, will err on the side of squeamish sometimes, and it's so funny. (laughs) Because you'll look over and Nikon's like... Uh, I don't want to talk about it. the most human of us all. That's exactly what that means. There we go. There we go. (laughs) So only a few days later, on December 19th, at the King's Arms, which was a tavern located at 81 New Gravel Lane, which uh, was owned by John Williamson and his family, um, there was another... Another John. Another John. <laughs> yeah, his last name comes up again later, too, so we'll talk about that. Okay. Um, but another incident occurred. Uh, at the living at on-site was John Williamson and his wife, Elizabeth, and then also they had an older servant woman named Bridget Anna Harrington that lived there as well. So again, late at night, uh, the streets were beginning to calm when suddenly a naked man... <laughs> started dangling out of the upstairs King's Arms Tavern window, suspending himself downward by his bed bed sheets (laughs) tied together. (laughs) What was the man's name? John Turner. John. 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 Oh, my God. But also, he's, like, fully doing the classic, like, kids leaving, sneaking out of the house. Yeah. Except also naked. Well, so... By naked, I, every source says naked, but remember that this is 1811 naked, so he was fully clothed. He was just in his underclothes. So right? naked, naked means like wearing like a sleeping gown. Yeah, he oh. was like naked. Okay. You know. I'm, I was picturing <laughs> like It's fully just that naked. every source yeah. is like he was naked, and then in the picture, like there's an illustration of it, he's like fully clothed. I just think it's funny, like the 1800s of it all is that he was naked. Oh my <laughs> I just think it's funny. All right. Uh, is there an illustration? Yeah, there's an illustration. Oh, let's see. What and he's see. yelling. And he's yelling, murder, murder, as he oh, suspends he himself distressed. down and he's crying as he comes down yelling that word. Um, this was John Turner and he was a lodger staying at the cabin for the last eight months. Um, so another like local constable heard the cry, rushed to the scene. Um, 
on that same day, that same constable had taken a report from Mr. Williamson himself. He had reported a strange man in a large, like, brown jacket who was, quote-unquote, eavesdropping at the tavern door. Um... And he was like, if you see this man again, arrest him, is basically what he For said. For I don't know. I guess so. He was, like, peeping in the window and stuff. But, like, oh, you have something to say? Well, I mean, like, this very gruesome, unexplained murder had just yeah, happened about a ten-minute was... walk away. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. A week and a half earlier. And yeah. so, and nobody knows who did it or why they did it. There was a and sense so of And so everybody is, is really yeah. freaked out about what's going on. And so some mm-hmm. random guy is She's standing stuck. there in like his ankle length duster just sort of like acting creepy yeah and every yeah everybody's yeah and so he, he was like sussed out about it so he he told the police essentially like if you see a weird man loitering outside my building arrest him please i said she you laughing at my i'm sorry i got distracted because she got stuck on the couch and she was, she was so was sad really cute and then she's, she's just like she's like hell i need to trim her nails uh. and then she turned away from me because she's disgusted uh, by the pillow yeah, now she's what mad it did to her so <laughs> she's offended <laughs> look how sad she looks Oh, it was very cute. I feel like only Nikon and I noticed, and they we get they, they gave me a look because both were like, "Come on, that's so cute." <laughs> she did have her arm like very straight, like she was like, eh, help "She me. was distressed." Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that, Siri. I get that. Leave me alone. It's the worst when that happens when you're teaching. Yeah. How about or when then you're it says, answering like, the I phone. couldn't find any answers for, and then like it says like the last like thirty <laughs> seconds of what I said in my lecture. It's the worst when I'm at work and I'm like talking to an angry parent who's like yelling at me about insurance, and then it's like, sorry, I didn't get that, and I'm like, ah. Or that helps diffuse it, maybe. No. There's no such thing as diffusing well, those situations. It's fine. Okay, sorry. It's fine. Back but, you know, naked, half, you know, kind of naked man hanging out a window, right? Unsurprisingly, a crowd started gathering with the situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they forced themselves into the tavern to sort of, like, angry mob it. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. As right. one does. Um, they were That's... greeted. Do you have some something to add no just that's a, that's an interesting reaction <laughs> right yeah, yeah. i'm not shocked personally in let's all get inside now yeah um they were greeted by a similar sight who were the smart people back then they were like you know what i'm doing heading in the opposite direction <laughs> I gotta go home. yeah yeah. <sighs> yeah well they they lived those people lived it's yeah. true okay so there's that <laughs> Uh, John Williamson was found in the tavern with a similarly bludgeoned face and a slit throat as well. Um, and like the infant, Timothy Mars, his head had been nearly severed as well. Oh, goddamn. Um, next to him sat a bloody crowbar that, in later reports, seemingly didn't belong to the family. Although I don't know how that, like, easily that would have been, like... (laughs) Identified. Yeah. Hey, that's not his crowbar. Yeah, it's like, whatever. <laughs> it didn't have his initials on it. Um, in the parlor of the home, both Elizabeth Williamson and their servant, Bridget, were found next to each other with the same fatal injuries. Slit throat and, uh, like, nice. bludgeoned face. Elizabeth's throat was cut all the way through her spinal cord. Oh, my God. So oh it was, like, a very person, deep cut. It's quite the mm-hmm. MO. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what was now essentially, yeah. like, an... <laughs> Do you have something? No, I'm just... <laughs> You're just shook? I'm just repulsed, yes. I'm sorry. Uh, basically, what was now an angry mob <laughs> s- 
stormed the home and were like, we're going to find this bitch, and they didn't find anybody. Yeah. Shockingly, what they did find was their 14-year-old granddaughter, Catherine, or Kitty Stillwell, who was still in bed sleeping and had slept through the entire thing. Alive. She did it. Yeah. See, like, that's the thing, (laughs) is, like, to me, is I'm like, this bitch was involved. Like, there's no way. There's no way you don't hear that. No, I don't understand But the question is... Did she do the first one, or did she do this one because she was inspired by the first and she hated her family? She did both. Nobody fucking checked it out. Hmm. Because they're, like, young women. <laughs> Not possible. Couldn't do anything. I know, no. right? All right, it was Kitty. All right, can, keep going. Can, can Go I ahead. like, a, just, because this is from John You're Turner's account. To, to and I just, I just think it's funny the way that even when people in the 19th century are dying, they have to, like, announce that they're dying. Yeah. So this is from John Turner's account. Oh, yeah. I didn't um, include he heard, this because I hated it so much. That he heard the front door being banged very hard. Immediately afterwards, I heard the servant exclaim, We are all murdered, or shall be murdered, two or three times. Stop it. I heard two or three blows, but with what weapon I cannot say. Shortly afterwards, I heard Mr. Williamson cry out, I'm a dead man. <laughs> So this is John Turner, the guy and so came he, out the window. he got out of bed. He, he listened at the door, so he's the smart one and then he heard like, a yeah, sound. I'm, I'm not and he comes and he freaks out and climbs out the window trying to escape. Which well, is I'm when people talk find about him. what he did. Oh, <laughs> just as far as I got, I, I just wanted to say I like, got... I'm a dead man, which is <laughs> yeah. like. If I'm ever murdered, I will shout out, I am murdered. I, I am murdered. I am murdered. We are murdered. Yes. <laughs> I'm going it's to like a very murdered. 19th century <laughs> so way to die. So oh, I'm so You have to announce it or yeah. yes, like their good. version of um, Pixar didn't happen. Right? Seriously. Right. right. It, it, Pixar didn't happen is the truth. It's his B-reel. That's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um... I will get to John Turner's testimony. Okay. Um, but I, I, I appreciate the Johns already. Yeah, I know. same. Uh, <laughs> like, which one's Naked Window Man. Bomb, which is... one's the <laughs> one that came out? I'm very confused. John Turner is the Naked Window Man. Yes. Okay. Naked Window Man. Williamson, from now on, Williamson. He's the dead one. He's the dead guy. <laughs> Trainer. Williamson is the second dead, like, okay. head of household or whatever. Yeah. The first ha- household is Mar. Yeah, Mar, Mar. the Mar okay. family. And then there's the Was that a John family. too? Yeah, John Mar. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> they only had three to choose from. Was the serial killer have a thing against Johns? Just wait. That's what it is. <laughs> Just fucking wait. Just. Okay. Okay. okay keep going. Okay. I'm sorry. I can't even. I can't even look at Trainer. Like I can't even. Okay. Look. Keep going. Okay. Again. To is recap. This why Dickensy was so fascinated by it? Because he's like, this could be me. I could be dying. I could be murdered. Just wait. Okay. <laughs> I, to recap, the first murders were the Marr family. Mm-hmm. And John. John. The second family, the Williamsons. Also John. Also John. Okay. The owners th- of the tavern? Yeah, owners of the tavern. And then the third John... <laughs> it sounds funny, because no. that's what they also call, like... Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like, like John Doe or yeah. whatever. Um was the naked man coming out of the window. Who was smart and was like, yeah, no, the, I'm not investigating him out. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, he does a little. We'll get there. Uh-oh. We'll get Uh-oh. there. John. Okay. I need, like, a t-shirt that says, we'll get there. I feel like I say it so much. Um, let's see. Other discoveries other than this fucking child just upstairs asleep the whole time, whatever. Yeah, that's ridiculous. They, <laughs> they also found an open window in the cellar leading into the backyard. Um, and it had, like, what what they saw, said were like bloody handprints or like 
marks of blood on the windowsill. So speaking of Emma, always leaves out the back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it sort of led out the yard and then down the embankment behind their yard, just sort of like how I was describing before, where it's like all these yards that butt up against like an open plot of land. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this slope was identified as like very muddy and clay-like, which is important for later. Okay. Um, again, lack of evidence in general and no clear motive found. It was pretty disheartening for the investigators, but they developed a sort of like task force and then they doubled the reward to a hundred guineas um, for any information leading to the capture of the culprit. Do we know how much that is? Uh, I looked up how much a guinea is and it's a pound and five cents. Back then or now? I don't know if it that was inflated or not. Okay. That's a great question. I hope it's not, because that's, like, 100 pounds now, right? No, yeah, I think that must have been, like, now. Which is, like, I mean, I could use I think it was, like, compared to 20 shillings. I could use 120 bucks, but not Which I also don't know what that's compared to either. And risk my life. Yeah. Always converting for us. You all keep talking. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll figure it out. Keep going. All right. Onward and upward. Um, Let's see. The only sort of piece of evidence that was they were hoping would lead somewhere which didn't really lead it didn't really take them anywhere but they were hoping it would lead them somewhere some witnesses said they spotted two men fleeing up radcliffe highway and that one was tall and had a limp and that there was a shorter man with him as well so some some people claimed that they did see some people fleeing the area but it doesn't necessarily mean that it was someone like fleeing the scene hmm yeah. Um, it eventually led to no clear lead, although I think that there's some merit in that concept. We'll talk about that later with theories. There, uh, let's talk about, yeah, I, we got a little teaser from Trainer, but um, uh, here's the testimony of John Turner, uh, the naked man. <laughs> um, so this was at a public inquiry, which they held across the street at a different tavern, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, according to him, he arrived at the King's Arms around 10.40 that night after having dinner with, I think it was like a relative, and he headed to bed. From his room, he heard Mrs. Williamson lock the front door, but then afterwards is when he heard the door kind of like banging, someone coming in, and then the, I'm a dead man, we're all murdered, shtick happening. And I wrote, which seems fake, but okay. <laughs> that kind of language is just so ridiculous to me. We're all dead. So he was lying in bed, and he heard those several blows, and then the footsteps sort of walking about, and then he decided to go downstairs to see what was going on. So he, he in his little PJs, and his bare feet, he, he peeped in the door, and he saw what he described as an estimated of about six foot tall man in a large coat going through the incapacitated Mrs. Williamson's pockets. But the person's back was to him. So he was just kind of hearing like a jingling of a sound and then what looked like someone like pocketing things that he was stealing. Um, from there, he was like, I don't want to be involved in this. He fled back upstairs, out the window as stated. Um, and as he was yelling, most people speculate that's when the perp evacuated the situation and was like, peace, I'm out of here. They've discovered me. What I think is... I am hol- discovered. Yeah, I have been discovered. See, what I think is funny is that he knew that their granddaughter was in the room across the hall from him, and he didn't even fucking save her. 
He didn't even like I'm wake her up. out the window. Yeah, he literally was like, "I, I'm out." Like, just hopped out the window. Done. What just left loser. her there to sleep. I just think it's really funny maybe that he just, just didn't even care. Dead. <laughs> I guess, but like, I mean, you know, put your own mask on first yeah. before putting. Others. I guess that's true, but I just think put it's your funny. mask on and climb out the window by a bed sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. I know that um, took some time. Yeah, like, he had to tie his bed sheets together. Oh, it also said that when he got back to his room, he, like, barricaded his door with his bed. <laughs> Which, I mean, here's the thing. He's a survivor. I see, gotta give him that. I give that to him. That's all, though. You do what you gotta do. That's all. Also, um, I, you were right about the, like, how many pounds mm-hmm. it equals. Um, and then, like... Inflated. Rough. It would be, like, roughly 100 pounds back then, which would be... Um, around ten thousand three hundred pounds today. Oh, gee! Holy shit! Yeah, that's a good reward enough yeah. to chase a serial killer. Damn. Maybe that's Maybe why the not, police but... were so mad that that one de- detective was well, like, "We don't have that kind of money." <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Our reward," and he like posted his own. He, it literally said that he like went to like uh, I think it was like a parish in the like the neighborhood, and he like posted a sign on the door that was like, 50 guineas for whoever gives me information that leads to the culprit." And they were like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> oh no! It's coming out of your paycheck. Which I think is just really funny. I mean, it, it also like this is a time that like. The police in general yeah. is still like a relatively new, concept, new invention. Yeah. That, and, that's why I say like yeah. investigator, sort of like right. with air quotes around yeah. it. It's just like he was like the lead person who took on the case, but that's about it. Yeah. You know. Other testimony from him was that um, Turner himself said that he had never seen the crowbar before in the house okay which i think is like neither here nor there yeah Yeah, it's to me it's like it could have been like in another room that he just wouldn't have seen and then like the perp could have just like grabbed it on the way in i don't know whatever i think that's kind of weird um he also noted that when he saw mr williamson's body he noticed that his pocket watch was no longer on his person which is what he assumed was being like pocketed when he saw the guy um so he did he did help a little bit there um, the verdict by the, like, quote-unquote jury in this, um, little, like, inquiry was that, um, it was willful, willful murder by a person or persons unknown. Okay. Because they were sort of like, did he do anything? We're not sure. So they ruled him out and said this was a murder by someone that, or someones that we don't, don't know, hmm. essentially, at this point. I feel like they didn't need a formal like jury to say that but I, it's <laughs> I don't think it was a formal jury it happened in a tavern okay okay that's fair <laughs> it's the the terminology they used to refer to the group of people that like decided this was jury but I don't I don't know that it was like a official thing it was where he gave his testimony essentially um I wrote, all right, now let's introduce the dramatic boy that is the true reason I'm covering this. And then I put dot, 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 and then trainer plus Thomas De Quincey. I'm the dramatic boy. I I don't know if I meant, honestly, I cannot remember, but probably I meant both of you. (laughs) Whatever. Would you like to, to hop in? Yeah, well, so, so some of, some of what Thomas De Quincey has to do with this and, and just kind of like. One of the reasons that these murders, I think, are really important in general is is because of what Thomas De Quincey did with them. Mm-hmm. So he 
uh, he was 26 when these murders happened. It's a good age to be. He's young and impressionable. And he was just ending his spinster era. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it was the. What do you become after that again? After spinster? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I'd have to look it up. We'd have to look it up. No, there's a cool awesome. name. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Nice. There's I a cool name. I believe for it, five like more months. Back or something. Um, so, but the this was also like the first like mysterious super public murder that ran right. throughout the English press. So like there was daily write-ups including like vivid accounts of like eyewitness testimony mm -hmm. in two of the major London newspapers that were then circulating throughout England. And so everybody is is created like one of like the first like murder mass hysterias. Right. Um Interesting. Oh, may I add one small thing? You can thing? add whatever you want. Just that um at this time, it was very common that they would lay. They lay so they did this, and it was very common. They laid the victims in their beds in their homes, and then people were just like allowed to go look at them. Come and do viewings. Oh no! Which is like, and it literally said like the decaying bodies oh, for like no. multiple days, and I'm like, hello, oh, like it's no. not like disturbing. Anyway, and also we know that these bodies like pretty gross yeah also like based on they probably they probably didn't smell very good anyways so that's also true that. but i mean decay is a whole nother level that is true true but and, yeah so so the terror is not even just like restricted to london like it's throughout england and mm -hmm. so like all the way up in the lake district um robert southey uh talked about people in the lake district like locking their doors mm -hmm. and like being terrified like everybody's uh, like that one quote i think i i think i'm right. thinking of the same one as you where it was like the woman there was one woman who wouldn't go to sleep at night without he wrote like 18 doors shut and right. locked in between her and like the outside world or something like oh, that wow. so there's this huge mass hysteria mass terror around what's going on as everybody is sort of like reading in the newspapers every day like who could it be who could it be the first sort of mass media mm -hmm. murder event um mm -hmm. and and de quincey is living in london and is very much uh paying attention to what's going on as well and so this comes up a few times in de quincey's work and his first thing is an essay that he wrote on shakespeare mm -hmm. called on the knocking at the gate of macbeth mm -hmm. um uh which is a scene in act two of macbeth when uh, the king is being murdered and they hear this like thumping this loud knocking door and the porters say who's knocking who's knocking and so de quincey talks about watching that scene and then thinking about the first murder and the servant girl like knocking at the door and like listening at the door and trying to hear something in the shuffle and that sort of like oh. moment of terror and, yeah. and that both murders started with, like, banging on the door, essentially. Right. And I will say that I'm surprised you didn't mention this, uh, that uh, a lot of his inspiration for, you know, writing about Shakespeare and everything was that Coleridge was doing regular, like, <laughs> lectures about Shakespeare on... He literally did a lecture on the night of the Mar murder. Oh, wow. On, I believe it was Romeo and Juliet. It was Roman and Juliet. But he ended up talking about something else I can't it remember. It was supposed to be on the nurse. And my my bestie, Charles Lamb, said, Coleridge uh, said he was going to lecture on Romeo and Juliet. And indeed, he has done so in the character of the nurse. <laughs> he was making fun of Coleridge for being unhinged. <laughs> yeah. Basically, nice. like, that happened on the same day. And, and we, I mean, Holly knows this yeah. because we took your class, trainer. Um, 
De Quincey was like had a huge boner, huge boner for Coleridge. Oh, okay. and Wordsworth. And Wordsworth, but they were not friends. Yeah. Wordsworth did not have a boner back. <laughs> no, no, there's a whole lot there. Um, but but in the murder essay, or sorry, in on knocking at the gate of Macbeth mm-hmm. and talking about Shakespeare, De Quincey has this passage where he says. Um, in Mr. Twelve, Mr. Williams made his debut on the stage of Ratcliffe Highway. I'm sort of, I'm sort of spoiling. Yeah, one I of know. The suspects. I know you would get there. Mr. Williams made his debut on the stage of Ratcliffe Highway and executed those unparalleled murders, which have procured for him such a brilliant and undying reputation. So he has this idea describing the murderer as an artist making his appearance on the stage, and so like mm-hmm. describing this horrific event in aesthetic terms. And murder as poetry, and the murder as a poet. As an artist. And so that comes up later for De Quincey in an 1827 essay called On Murder Considered as One of the Fine Arts. And it's a satirical essay. It's it's making fun of Kant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But also, and the the idea of aesthetic disinterestedness. And so he says, yeah, 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 as long as the murder is happening, like, you should do whatever you can to, like, save the victims. But once it's done, we should, we can look at it as an aesthetic object and talk about, like, well, what was the lighting? Like, what was the tool? Was, was it poison? Like, what sorts of tools create for more exciting and more thrilling and more aesthetically pleasing Why murders? did the artist make these specific choices, essentially? Right. Um, but I will say, like, he's not, I, I agree, you know. He, he is like, save the victim before they die. But he's also not very nice about the victim. No, no, no. no, no, no. At all. Like, he doesn't give a fuck about the victim. But well, especially mean... in this essay, it's, it, the, that first one mm-hmm. is very satirical right. as well. So he's, he's mostly sort of like making fun of philosophers. And he right. says any philosopher who's worth their salt has been murdered or had murder attempted on them. And then he goes on to talk about a bunch of philosophers who were never murdered. So right. it's just sort of digging on that. But then it comes up again, like 10 years later, in a second paper on murder considered as a fine art. And then in uh, the 1850s, he writes a postscript to the essay on murder, which is like is very long, very detailed, basically from memory of the events mm-hmm. of the Williams, uh, of these Ratcliffe Highway mm-hmm. murders. Yeah. And, and that is really, um, it's important for a few reasons. One, it's like one of the first... And we can talk about, like, the narrative is all mm-hmm. over the place. But it's yeah. one of the first pieces of, like, very detailed and intense true crime narrative right. written in English. Um, and De Quincey's, the, even the idea that a murder can be considered in aesthetic terms, that is a thing that De Quincey is fascinated with and keeps coming back to, has a strong influence on other people who are considered. So Oscar Wilde writes an essay um, called what is it? Pen, paper, and poison. Mm-hmm. On uh, Thomas Griffiths Wainwright, who is also a writer in the same magazine that De Quincey wrote for, but mm-hmm. who was like unknowing to most people at the time, was poisoning people. Um, wow. So Oscar Wilde wrote on that. I remember that. And then um, I like how you say that like you were there. De Quincey's <laughs> stuff. I remember especially that. if you think about like. The, the way that De Quincey emphasizes like the knocking and sort of like the terror in that moment of knocking and mm-hmm. not having a knock answered yeah. comes back really big for Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, even... Are, are you going to say Poe? Because I'm waiting well, for po, you to say Poe because po, he has a lot to say about Poe. A lot of Poe's early work mm-hmm. is very, very obviously influenced by and modeled after De Quincey's mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. In fact, one of his first published essays 
is called How to Write a Blackwoods Essay. Blackwoods, yeah. And it's basically, it's a parody of De Quincey who wrote, in fact, his murder essay for Blackwoods. Um, Interesting. And so that's a big influence. And then also uh, Truman Capote Mm -hmm. in Cold Blood. Yes. uh, And focusing especially on sort of like the idea of the murderer as a kind of artist Mm -hmm. and that sort of like aesthetic. So one reason that I think this is an interesting thing to mm-hmm. talk about is that the both the event but then also what De Quincey did with the event has a very is, is like a really strong trunk in the genealogy of true crime and of all different kinds of horror and aesthetic which is why I said like I was waiting for the you macabre to cast right <laughs> yeah. in whatever part it's like one of the branches on that tree mm-hmm. sort of oh, like no. really has yeah. its shares a strong oh, no. root. I knew we were going to get here. It all has I'm not making this up. Oh, okay. Brooke, help me out. I, I, I cannot argue with you because, I mean, just in reading the first couple, ch- like, I didn't, I skim read um, Guilty Thing. Yeah. And I was like, I, I totally get why you suggested this. Because, yeah. I mean, no doubt my, like, I definitely, like, didn't start getting into horror as a concept or as, like, in, like, art terms until college. Mm -hmm. And, frankly, Frankenstein was one of the early ones that I, like... I mean, I guess I did read, like, a few things in high school, but I wasn't, like, super into it or anything. Mm -hmm. And so I, like, I I see it. And I also, of course, I'm, like, a big fan of Poe. I mean, not as a person, but (laughs) his works. And so, I mean, it, it was incredibly apt... It was an apt choice, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, bleh, you know. <laughs> but, like, you hinted at it earlier, and you were like, I, th- I, there's a reason why I brought it up. And it's like, yeah, because the, the whole concept of, like, critical thought about murder itself or about horror itself. Yeah. Right. And the, like, the way that people are consuming murder as a topic. Right. Instead of... Yeah, because it is, like, a consumption of media in some sense. Which it shows very early roots in, like, the fetishization of serial killers, too. Yeah, Because God. he has That's, his, his, okay, uh, first, De Quincey had one for the, the, the suspect in this case. Oh, God. He was feeling it for him. Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of it, right? So, like, there's the act... I mean, this is kind of De Quincey's argument, right? Right. Like, there's the act of the murder, and Mm -hmm. we can talk about, like, what happened on Radcliffe Highway and the actual event. But then the life of it, once the event is done, Mm -hmm. is the way that it's transformed into narrative. Mm -hmm. And the way that that then becomes something that we can read with some disinterestedness. Like, we can read it and say, like, oh, that's horrible, that's terrible. And yet, it's also... For many people, thrilling and exciting and compelling, and like, oh no, mm-hmm. and like De Quincey goes into such detail, especially at that moment of the servant girl knocking on the door, and he stretches this out for pages, where he knocks on the door, and she's listening against the door, and she can hear a rustling sound, and he imagines the murderer on the other side of the door listening to her, and so mm-hmm. he has this very drawn-out passage right. where you imagine the the killer. And the servant girl not knowing what's on the other side of the door, but just like separated by Which, like an inch and a half of wood, and that mm. like the goosebumps raise, and like that's, that's he then exciting. parallels it though with Turner when he's looking at the suspect yeah. picking the pocket of 
the dying Mrs. Williamson as well, yeah. because what he describes his he also says that he hears three long sighs come from the man. And he's like, it's like a very detailed account, like you said, of this, like, tension between this, like, you know, wall in between mm -hmm. that kind of, like, good symbol or, like, bad symbol and things like that. It's just yeah. Yeah. spice. I, I was looking for what I text, all those texts I sent you earlier. <laughs> I was like, sorry, I'm spamming you. <laughs> I sent you, like, four really long texts. Um, just on this subject of them all you know all the writers of the time talking about what it means to be a murderer and all of that um i texted you this because i just thought it was really interesting in guilty thing they talk about how coleridge defined a murderer as someone who has rid himself of fear which i think in modern contexts when they talk about like nature versus nurture with murderers that's like a very strong like nurture argument if yeah. you're contextualizing it to what we know now yeah. about serial killers are like sociopaths and like what we don't do and what we do and we what we don't understand about people who can commit murder yeah and i thought that, that was like a really interesting way to put it is like they have rid themselves fully from fear so that they can now commit these crimes yeah. which i think is interesting because yeah. there's it's very nurture yeah. there's something about the way that that's phrased that like really bothers me and sits bad is it because it's coleridge no it's <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's a good reason but no um <laughs> <laughs> it, it's because there's something about it that sounds very positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like they're looking out. And the, yeah. Yeah. then again, yeah. that yeah. like yeah. fetishization yeah. Of, of the murderer. Like, it's good to rid yourself. Of right. Fear. Like there's something about that that hits my brain in a really bad way. Of like, I think it's mm. the kind of thing of like <laughs> people like they're stronger than you or something because yeah. they don't fear things like that. Yeah. This makes me think of this was. I don't even know where the show first came on, but there was like some show, and it was about basically this like cult of murderers that built everything around. I think Edgar Allan Poe. It's like a popular show that came out maybe ten years ago or something. Oh. It happened. I don't know what's going up happening. It was called something, and I remember it made me think of this because their idea of like somehow they were more evolved like you're or transcended yeah. in some way. And I'm like, this is <laughs> creepy, but yeah. Now I want to know what it's called. Coleridge also said that. Um, that these murders made everyone in London install chains on their doors, uh -huh. so that. Is that where so, those came from? Well, I mean, I don't know oh. if that's where they came from, but at least where they all of a sudden within Super like metropolitan London <laughs> becomes more popular, so that people can hear a knock and open their door to see who's there, but not have but their not door open all the yeah, way. They have a bacon Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's good to know. Yeah, it's an interesting show. The so. show is called The Following, and I've been um, notified that Kevin Bacon is in it, which means I have oh, to watch it, because yeah. I'm trying to that? become the master of um, Three Degrees of Separation from Kevin Bacon. Is it based off of, are they obsessed with Poe? I don't know, but anyway, it was interesting, but it's this weird cult built around, like... Well, it came up when I literally Googled, like, cult TV show about liking Poe, so there there's that. So... <laughs> Or it's like a serial killer who like read a lot of Poe and is like, and then all of his followers yeah. are like, ooh, we want to be just like you and murder freely. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Apparently he didn't get what he was reading in Poe well, that well. Well, <laughs> most people don't. There wasn't a lot of critical thinking going on there. <laughs> there's <laughs> my there's my De Quincey spiel. That's part of the reason that I yeah. find these interesting. Yeah. 
and their legacy. I mean, I didn't know that. There's something to be said about that concept because it has still gripped many people today because we are here yeah. making this podcast. Yeah. Well, and I think and you're it, it <laughs> grips people in different ways Mm -hmm. where like there are people who take it and run with it and have the like weird fetishizing of Mm -hmm. serial killers and there are people who like take it and run with it in a very different way of like not fetishizing and trying to be respectful you know so off Radcliffe Highway on which great name Cinnamon Street in old whopping lol <laughs> was a particular lodger staying at the Pear Tree Public House, and his name was John Williams. Got both of the names. Uh, not John, <laughs> or not just John, but John, John Williams. Williams. But not John Williamson. Yeah. Well, oh, no. that was his dad. <laughs> too many. Um, no shit. He no. was his dad. Never mind. No. <laughs> too many Johns. Too many Johns for sure. Um, so he was. A, a, they assume he was about twenty-seven-ish years old, and he was. Um, a seaman. He worked on ships periodically, and he would come to town. Apparently, he was, like, blowing all of his money at the tavern all the time, and that was, like, a known thing about him, but then sometimes people were like, he was an upstanding citizen. I feel like there was mixed (laughs) bags about that. Also, he was Irish. There is also that. Oh, interesting. Uh, Okay, that's a very different Mm -hmm. layer. Okay. Yeah. Um, So there's also that. Uh, I want to read De Quincey's description because he straight up thought he was handsome and it's very homoerotic for no reason are you ready so no he was like describing I, okay also i have a question for you trainer why does he know this man like what was the reason that he was like <laughs> this is why he's important de quincey himself like why did for what for why did he know anything about john williams do you know because it doesn't, there's nowhere that I could find that was like, he doesn't know who this person is other than that he knew he was the suspect. No, just because it was, it was written a lot about at the time. He just and fucking De, spreading lies. De Quincey <laughs> had a, an incredible retention memory. Mm-hmm. And then that was just Flex. also puzzled with like, I mean, spoiler alert, De Quincey yeah. is also like a heavy, 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 heavy opium addict. He oh, also yeah. invented for this to come He in. also invented drug narratives. Yeah, I was like, he needs uh, to feed his habit. I was and for this to come and in. so so this is like it's it's this the stories that he's remembering when he writes this postscript from forty five years earlier. Right. Oh. Uh, the mass hysteria that surrounded it mm-hmm. and 45 years of like yeah. intense opium use and everything else that was just crazy and chaotic in De Quincey's life. Right. He lived a long time for an opium addict. Yeah, he was in Look at him uh, in the picture 70, on the book, he's ugly. 74 when he <laughs> 74 when he died. He looks rough. 4 foot 11 in heels. <laughs> With the picture I drew of him in our class, do you remember? <laughs> of the rat in a trench coat. <laughs> Cuz he wore his he would wear like a big trench coat. And when uh, Emerson came to England to see him, and he saw De Quincey walking in his trench coat, and he said he looked like a boy who had stolen his dad's overcoat. Oh. <laughs> uh, in our independent study, I drew that picture of like a tiny rat man, like a rat in like a giant trench coat. Nice. Because <laughs> it was like gross. That is De Quincey. Yeah, De Quincey. Well, De Quincey thought um, thought this John Williams was very handsome. 
He described him as a man of middle stature, slenderly built, rather thin, but wiry, tolerably muscular, and clear of all superfluous flesh. His hair was the most extraordinary and vivid color, a bright yellow, something between an orange and a yellow color. Oh. (laughs) Like, dude. (laughs) Chill. The fact that he has to get the hair color right like that. Cold shower. Real love, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, chill. (laughs) What did the weirdos in your era that you studied do? They, like, put it in the locket or something? Oh, the hair in the locket. Oh, yeah, no. Yes, they would send each other hair in the mail, but that's a different story. What kind of hair? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I know the answer to this. I don't want to know. Oh, you already do. Don't worry. Oh, I'm I think sure. That came right. up in an earlier episode, didn't it? <laughs> it did. It did. Yeah. It did. I think I wrote it in here, or maybe I texted Might have it. The episode where we talked about little the poison bottles people had too. Oh yeah. Oh, the, the rings. rings. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, hair like keeping someone's hair like of that you like someone that you loved is like a common thing, but they wasn't always head hair. I'm all. That's all I'm gonna say. I feel like that's the Quincy wanted a locket of this guy's hair. What hair? <laughs> Not head hair. Not head hair. <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, De Quincey as, like, a fanboy, like, following around Coleridge and being, like, mm, collecting his hairs that fall off of him. Oh, collecting no. his skin cells that fall off of him. Coleridge was in a financial tough spot, and De Quincey had just uh, turned 21 and so came into some his some of his inheritance and lent Coleridge, like, 250 pounds. <laughs> and then, like, anonymously. Aww. And then, like, went around and said, like, Hey, do you know who lent Coleridge that money? And oh Coleridge was so pissed. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. He's a fanboy. <laughs> oh, man. He's buying um, Gamer Girl bathwater, but it's Coleridge bathwater. Yeah, but he was oh, a bigger, no. he was a worse fanboy for Wordsworth. That's true. Um, Especially because he hated him. I'm well, not beca- because he moved into Wordsworth's house. Uh, and, Licking the floorboards. And then as soon as he moved into the house... Uh, he was like, these trees are blocking my view. So he cut down the trees. And Wordsworth and, and his sister came back and were like, what do you do with our trees? And he was like, sorry. And Wordsworth was so pissed. And his sister Dorothy was so pissed. Who let him move in? Well. Yeah. So weird. Um, anyways, back on track about this guy. So, um... Williams, John Williams, was an acquaintance, accordingly, um, to Timothy Marr the first victim um and apparently he had a, it's rumored that he had a, a grudge over like a past dispute because they were shipmates like when they were both working as seamen because as i mentioned before before mar opened his little tailored like drapery shop he was working on ships and so yeah. they had known each other from there and a, a, apparently william people are speculating that williams had some sort of grievance with him um and other than that, there's really not much of like evidence to connect Williams with it. Mm-hmm. Um, more about Williams and his like sea life. He mo- his most recent sort of like voyage or whatever was he was working on the rocks. He was wor- working aboard Roxburgh Castle, and he was actually a part of a failed mutiny <laughs> attempt. 
Um, but he like got off scot free because he was a good boy. Um, so it's fine. Because because he was so handsome. Yeah, because he was so handsome. He was such a good boy. People were like, he's an upstanding citizen. He gave it's a lot fine. Hair and you know. Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was actually originally um, arrested because he was seen drinking at the king's. Um, the King's Arms Tavern the day of the Williamson murders. Okay. It's like in the evening earlier in the day. Um, so when he was when he's when he was questioned, he admitted to drinking at the King's Arms, and witnesses corroborate that he was there. Um, but he claimed that he was family friends with the Williamsons. So he was like, I couldn't do anything wrong. I knew these people. Um, okay. Yeah, and then he claimed that <laughs> after he left the tavern after he was done drinking he consulted a surgeon about like an injury in his foot nobody checked this out with anybody it said that he saw like a a doctor and then like a woman who the way it was described was that like she like was involved in some sort of like medicinal healing thing nobody checked any of that out and I think the main reason why people bring this up all the time was mainly that because he had this past injury that was bothering him, and a lot of the, the witnesses said they saw that man limping while leaving. Ooh. They're like, oh, was he limping because he has this past injury, etc., etc. Witnesses also noted that at the bar when he was, like, drunk, he had been complaining of, of like, being penniless, and that this was, like, a common thing, is that he was, like, complaining about not having any money and then, like, drinking all of his money away um, at bars all the time. But then people had been overhearing that he was, like, coming into money, and people were overhearing this. So some witnesses say that he was, like, penniless, and then he had come into money. So people were like, oh, is there a motive about like robbery although there's not a lot of evidence of robbery except yeah. for that was like the pocket watch but that seems like um, petty robbery compared to like yeah. the right um he did have yeah. he had two pawn tickets in, on his person when they arrested him um no one investigated this no one checked the dates on the tickets <laughs> nobody followed up on it but some people like wonder if he had come into money because he was like either stealing things and then selling them and then keeping the money or he was stealing things from crime scenes stealing things regardless or well, stealing things from the crime scene i mean they did let you just walk through so true so there's that um but again nobody fucking checked the dates on those it's fine it's the 1800s of it all right yeah um they weren't 100% sure on suspects at this point, but they had detained three as a precaution, one in, including um, John Williams, uh, and they were all remanded to Coldbath Fields Prison. The other two sus- suspects I'm going to mention briefly, and then I'll talk about a little bit again at the end. Um, one of them was Cornelius Hart, who was a carpenter working on the Mar home. Supposedly there was beef that he had with the Mars because he had borrowed a chisel from someone, and that he had kept coming back to the Mars after he completed his work and been like, I lost my chisel, where is it at, bitch? And uh, Mr. Mar was like, I can't find it, I looked everywhere, I don't know where it is. And, like, um, the servant girl, Margaret, had corroborated this as well, that they had been looking for a chisel and not found it in their home or Except in the shop. Wasn't there a chisel right next to him? Good question. Yes, there was a clean chisel next to the dead body. Um, 
Interesting. And also, just yeah, go the ahead. carpenter's chisel, chisel is like they're two, huge. two feet yeah. long. Yeah, so yeah. It's huge. Yeah, they're just huge. Not like a little. Yeah. Um, the other piece of, I guess, circumstantial evidence that they had was that after um, John Williams was arrested, Cornelius Hart kept coming back to different, uh, like, the crime scenes and asking people if um, they had, like, officially, like, if he was arrested, what was happening with the case, what what happened with John Williams. Right. He was, like, checking in. Right. Which is, like, okay. sus as fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's all they had on him. That's okay. it. Um, and then the other suspect that they had detained was William Longbilly Ablis. Longbilly? Wow. Longbilly. That's the name. That's, that's his name. That's his real name? That's not like a I, nickname? It was, his nickname was Longbilly. Okay. It was too good. You keep pulling out the book to fact check me. Um, apparently he was a known, like, aggressive guy. He was also on Roxburgh Castle ship with John Williams, and he had served on another ship with Mar in the past. So he has a connection to both John Williams, the suspect, and then also Mar, the first victims. Um, he was also the leader of the mutiny on Roxburgh Castle ship as well. Interesting. Um, I think it was him and Kitty in on it together. Yeah, I hit Kitty, you know. Yeah. Um, his body type most closely matched the description that... Um, Turner had given of the man picking the pockets and then also he was much larger than John Williams. John Williams was said to be like quite short. I think they said he was like 5'5", five, five, right? He was like 5'10", but but the guy, the supposed uh, murderer Long was Billy, a lot taller. Long Billy was much taller. Right. Okay. Um, That's and, why he was long. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and John Turner had said it was like a 6 foot tall man essentially. Okay. Okay. Um, so there's that. Um, he had also been drinking at the King's Arms with Williams the day that the murder happened as well. Um, so on December 24th, they discovered the mall that was used in the Marr family murder was a personal belonging of one John Peterson, oh a God. sailor who was staying at the pear tree. I can't. There cannot be any more Johns. I know. He was actually out at sea. Um, and his shit was just, like, there. <laughs> and the landlord, who was currently imprisoned for debt, <laughs> turned, like, gave the information, and then the reward money is rumored to have, like, cleared him of his debts, which I think is hilarious. Interesting how that works. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's going on anymore? Yeah. The, the <laughs> landlord then confirmed that the, in, he confirmed that the initials, um, like, matched the information that he had. Uh, he also confirmed that he... It, the like mall itself had previously been in John Peterson's trunk that he of course provided to the police and he confirmed that he had actually borrowed the mall once and he was the one responsible for chipping the tapered edge okay so he confirmed that that was the same tool and this is where it came from and it was a man staying at the pear tree which is also where John Williams was staying which is a secondary connection there um a laundress also came forward saying that she had washed some bloody clothes. Um, she said that it looked like somebody with bloody fingers had, like, adjusted the collar, and so there was, like, blood on the top of the shirt here. And she was a laundress of, like, John Williams. Okay, that's suspicious. So there's that. So let's recap the evidence against him. Bloody clothes. 
He lived, like, currently where he could have stolen the abandoned mall tool from the adjacent room um, that was, like, not necessarily supervised because the guy wasn't living there currently. Uh, he w- had suspected connections to the Mars and the Williamsons. He had been drinking at the tavern the night of the murders, and his influx of money after the murders was in question. And then there was also something that came out about him having dirty socks that were covered in clay mud. Oh. And potentially bloodstains. Go back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and some say that the clay resembled the clay of the embankment by the king's arms. So there is that. Hmm. Unfortunately, Williams never made it to trial because he was found cold, dead, and hanged by his own scarf in his cell on December twenty eighth. Oh no! Did he kill himself or did Kitty sneak in? Hey, uh, Kitty. Mischievous fourteen year old. Right. <laughs> So, fellow prisoners claimed that he was in good spirits the same day, and that he had announced he would soon be exonerated. And so they were confused why he would have killed himself, because it doesn't essentially, like, show an admission of guilt. Um, But some speculate he was murdered to keep him quiet about fellow perpetrators. Um, I think it was his friend who he was drinking with. Right. And what I would say is some sources did say he was, like, shackled. So some speculate how easy could it have been for him to have reached up to the rafters above him and tied a scarf enough to, like, actually hang himself while he was shackled. So there is that to think about. But honestly... Especially tie himself well enough for it to actually work. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, shit. with just like a scarf, I don't know. Yeah. Like, seems like people are putting a lot of stock in just random cloth to support their body weight, and I'm just saying I would never Although trust cloth to support my body weight. These were semen, so they're good with tying like That's fancy true. knots and things. That's so. true. <laughs> tying like, knots. Yeah. Um, That's all I know about people who work at sea. True, yeah. true. My dad used to be in the, in the Coast Guard, and he yeah. does know knots. See, there you go. Yeah. So there is that. (laughs) The knots are known. The knots are known. Uh, The hearing continued despite the fact that he had died. Uh, (laughs) They they continued to carry on the trial. Yeah, he was found guilty of the crimes despite not being present, and they took his suicide as a clear statement of guilt with no direct connection to the Mar murders at all. He had no, like, concrete connection other than the fact that he had worked with Mar on a ship in the past. Holly looks pissed right now. Um, This part gets fucked up, so there's there's this... Yeah. (laughs) Are you going to get the pictures out for them to see? (laughs) Um, So, after the verdict, they decided that the best thing to do in this situation is to parade his body down Radcliffe Highway as a way to show residents that he was no longer a menace and that they didn't have to live in fear anymore. And they justify it. They justified this action by saying that he had cheated the hangman. Uh, by killing himself, essentially. No. Um. Uh, so the procession stopped for ten to fifteen minutes outside each crime scene where the body was. Um, then often like whipped, heckled. Um, it was also displayed with the murder weapon above his head, just like sitting on the pallet that he was on. Um, they also, when they stopped at each murder like scene, they would turn his postmortem head to face the actual building oh, so that gross. he would have to look at it. He was dead. He bro. had been dead. <laughs> He's dead. Because need I, oh, I forgot to say this happened on New Year's Eve. Uh. <laughs> um, then to quote De Quincey, the remains of John Williams were tumbled out of the cart and lowered into this hole, and then someone hammered a stake through his heart. 
with the mall. Were they afraid he was a vampire? <laughs> yeah. I'll like, tell what? you why. It was Peter. So the grave was made too small for him so that even in death he would be uncomfy. Nice. Um, they dumped him in face down on his knees, like crumpled. Um, and then apparently they were like whipping his dead body. <laughs> um, and then the stake in his heart was to keep his restless soul from wandering oh, because he was okay. not able to be buried in a like consecrated ground. Okay. Um, so they were like, stay here. Palmer situation. No. Yeah. Well, he was dug up about 300 years later. Oh, great. Um, Excellent. And his skull was kept by a local. What? Who's and then just it just a, disappeared. Who's just allowed to keep people's skulls? What? They were like doing something with the sewers and they found his body. Like they just found his body and they were like, all right. And all right, some it's guy yours was now? like, exactly right like location it. here. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it was like confirmed with like the stake in his heart and yes. stuff like that. Um, after his death, death, they a couple more evidence like did like come out um they did discover bloody pants that had been like tucked away in like the, what was essentially like their outhouse <laughs> um that were believed to be his um some some witness who also lived there said that like they knew that they were his pants i don't really know how you'd be able to tell but whatever they also did find a pocket watch at the pear tree as well hidden away um suspected to be the pocket watch from mr williamson mm -hmm. And then they also did rumored to find they found a bloody knife there. But okay. huh. without Who's the knife, access though? to like yeah, without access to like forensics, like we don't actually know that that was that that could have been from any number of other bloody knife related things that could happen all the time. Yeah. Um, I would say a good case can be made for Williams being involved, but all of the evidence is circumstantial, and that's even stated in like all of the um, research that I did. Um, the connection to, uh, Long Billy, <laughs> um, does nod towards them being accomplices, in my opinion, personally, specifically with the eyewitness account of two men, a shorter man and a taller man, one with a limp, like, sort of evacuating the area after yeah. the murder happened. Um, so there is that, um, especially since they were both like semen who had known Mar in the past. So they did both have a connection to the Mar family, even though there was like no connections to the Mars, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. In except for like the fact that Williams lived at the pear tree and he had access to the weapon that was used on them, basically. Um that's the Radcliffe Highway murders. Which is listed as one of the bloodiest crimes in British history. And then I wrote, aside from all of the crimes Britain committed against the numerous places it colonized. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Love it. <laughs> Sorry. I had to. Do you have wow. anything you'd like to add? Anything that I didn't include? I had to cut a lot because... No. I think that was great. Okay. Thank you. But... Okay. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. That, yeah, that was um, that was a lot. I feel a lot of anger in my body right now. For I feel the, like for a lot of things. I feel yeah. like a case could yeah. be made that someone went back and murdered him. Potentially, like he, maybe he was in good spirits because he was gonna like confess and then, you know, 
implicate the two others. I think there could be a case made that all three of them were involved. I think yeah. there definitely could be a case between the two um, guys who obviously knew each other. Um, I think there could be a case that none of them were involved. True. Yeah. And I also think that for Cornelius Hart, an interesting uh, nod I saw on one of the articles I read was that some people think it could have been him and that he had been like saying, you stole my chisel, you stole my chisel. And then he returned the night of the murder and left the weapon there to like be like, be like it was there. Basically, yeah. I'm going to sneeze. I think there could be a case or not a case at all. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that was kind of what I think was frustrating me as well, was that, like, a lot of it's just the 1800s of it all, of, like, yeah. I'm like, so much of this evidence is circumstantial. Yeah. None of this is actually really points to that guy that hard. They didn't yeah. have enough, I mean, by terms now, like, they did not have enough evidence to convict any of those men. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they did. Yeah. Also, why are you holding a trial for a man who's already dead? I don't, like, what? And parading the body yeah. around. What? Yeah. Just stop. I mean, like, I'm I, sure some of that I have... know you're thinking it. You're thinking similar things. I mean, I get it me. because they're like, let's try and get rid of the mass, like, yeah. panic. But I'm also like, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that that's what I would say, right? Yeah. Is that everybody is freaked out. Like, they need this to be resolved well, publicly. Then figure it out. The murders real. didn't continue <laughs> after that. Like, yeah. if this was sort of like a so spree with a particular M.O. Um, and and whether he did it or not like williams becomes like the public scapegoat right um where everybody can sort of like exercise their rage and fear on on a victim that can then be placed in a public place just as i mean we're not it just yeah like the the idea of like public executions and all that kind of stuff right. are like happening, mm -hmm. right? So, this was just like one another one of those icky things, way yeah. that that mm -hmm. happened um, for again for that first like mass media hysteria yeah. murder event um, that nobody had ever seen anything like that before. Right? I just think like yeah. I just want to know if if he did it or if they did it, right? Why? Yeah. Because there's not a clear motive well, as to why. I Especially, like, like, the whole, like, they're going for the everybody. That's, yeah. that's the thing, too, is, is um, you know, okay, criminology. Cutting someone's throat, bashing someone's head, head in. That's super personal. That's a super personal type of murder. Those are also two different methods of murder, which, right. like, could be multiple people. The thought is too like if if it was if it was one person right are they like slitting their throat to like kill them and then just like out of rage just like beating their heads in or are they beating their heads in as they like burst in the room and then they're slitting their throats to make sure the job is done but why though I just yeah. like there's so there's no many questions yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which undoubtedly is why De Quincey was so interested in it and I mean obviously I am too and yeah. that's why we're here yeah God. Uh, but that's cursed. wild. Cabinet? Cabinet. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with... There's so many good ones in this one. That's the thing, you know? I feel... Uh, trainer has a good one. I feel like you're ready. See, I feel like I want to go with socks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
All right. I mean, that's a great one, too. Muddy <laughs> socks. I feel like I'm going to go with the socks. Okay. Or just, like, a single oyster shell. Ew. Just the thing that's Midnight oysters. I forgot about that part. <laughs> I was like, was that really the same story? And I, was like, I know, oh, it's yeah. so fucking long. I'm so sorry. Not me, you're good. Right. <laughs> We're this is still episode here. 33 and 34. Oh, God. <laughs> Kill me. Cabinet, cabinet? Uh, I'll go ahead. Okay. I feel like I'm going to regret this if I think about it too much, but I'm going to do them all. All right. All right. That's Not afraid. I like all it. Right. Uh, wait, wait, with or without all of the stuff? I was going to ask that, but I didn't want to be I, cursed. <laughs> without the it's stuff, me. I like a big stick. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Holly? Um, I'm going to go for the big chisel, because it's clean. And also, I'm curious. Fair. I feel like you two are planning a murder together now. Yeah. <laughs> for me, Probably. it feels like if I got a bunch of weird knocks on my door, I could just go to my cabinet. That's get true. That is true. That's true. That is true. You put a whole ass cauldron in there, though. Like That's you, true. you could do some damage with a cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to go next? Well, I was gonna say the chisel. Oh. oh. Sorry. Oh, it's so sad. <laughs> but I would very happily also include uh, John Turner's bed sheet. Oh, yes. Nice. What about his, his nightgown? <laughs> That's what I was going to do. <laughs> but he's hanging out the window pajamas. so the nightgown went up a little high. It's a little striped pajamas you used to see in cartoons. I was like, That's cute. I'll take that. Cone hat. Yes. Like, yeah. And I might actually take it out of the cabinet and use it from time to there time. You so there you go. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. He survived, so they're not, like, tainted with death. I support him being a survivor, okay? Ooh, the I, pocket yeah. watch would be a good that one, too. That would be good, too. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, if, if, it wasn't, if there was an object, I would take the knock. But, oh. the knock, but you can't that's put so, a That's so, like, De Quincey of you, though. Exactly. <laughs> You're not going to take De Quincey's notes where he describes the yeah, I was gonna say, man he's in love with. If a lock of the... John Williams flowing oh, hair. Oh, God. <laughs> no, see, if you want the knock, then just have a copy of On Knocking in yeah, it. No. There you go. No, no, no. I'm going to keep the bed sheet. All right. <laughs> it's like a murder, murder. Murder, murder. I am murdered. I, I have murdered. That's my favorite. I have been That's killed. Stupid. I have been killed. But it's not, it's not even the last part. Word. It's just the, like, I am. I am murdered. I, I am murdered. Also, and yet, like, you when did you have time it. to say that? It's yeah, like, <laughs> Hold on. Is that before or after they slit your throat? I need to narrate yeah. what's happening in this moment. Jesus. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, You're not going to thank Trainer? Add that happens after your part. Get it together. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm nervous because he's right here. I want to make know. sure he gets his credit. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, check us out on Instagram. The Macabre Cast Pod. You can also send us an email with suggestions or your own stories or whatever you'd like at themacabcastpod at gmail.com. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Trainer. You're welcome. For oh, your contribution for this one and also the intro and outro. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you, Nikon, for... I think I didn't thank you last time. You did. You did. Oh, okay. We did. Good. Thank you, Nikon, for all the sound help. And You're welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> and Aww. what's in your cabinet? Good night. Mm-hmm.